Good morning once again, and welcome to Cross Point Christian Church. It's good to see each and every one of you with us today, and a welcome to our guest. Welcome to those listening on the internet. Glad to have you with us as well. Today we wrap up our series called 40 Days of Prayer. Some of you are thinking, well, wait, 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 wait a second. Our growth group is still meeting. Our growth group hasn't even started meeting yet. That's okay. Just keep on meeting, keep on doing your own thing. Uh, the, the preaching series and the lessons don't exactly go hand in hand. It doesn't matter uh, when you do it, just keep on doing it. My growth group's going to continue through the whole month of March. You're welcome to join us if you haven't joined a group already. We're going to take a little break in April, and then we're going to hit it hard again in May with another topic. But we're glad that you're here, you're taking part in this. And the thing I want to emphasize is God hears every prayer, and He answers every prayer. One example of that is in Jeremiah 33, 3, our response reading this morning that's on the screen. It says, call unto me, that is a prayer, and I will answer. Now, here's the key. The answer that he gives may not be the answer that we want. No is an answer. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's a legitimate answer. Uh, we, we covered this already. When we pray, God is not this genie in a bottle. You know, your wish is my command. God is not a vending machine in the sky where we put in a prayer and pull out whatever it is we want. We said that, that God answers basically in four ways. Sometimes He says yes, and we all love a yes. But sometimes He says no. Sometimes He says wait, and sometimes He says grow. And when all that comes together, God says Go. Now, the Bible's full of illustrations and examples of people that God loved and cared about, but he still said no. He said no to Abraham. He said no to Moses. He said no to David. David had committed adultery. The little boy was going to be taken up to heaven from this earth. The baby got sick, and David said, Lord, save the baby. Don't let the baby die. And God says, no. Baby's coming home. Jonah was told no. The Apostle Paul was told no to a prayer request. Prayed it three times. We'll look at that in a minute. Even God's very own Son, Jesus Christ, was told no to a very specific prayer request. So I didn't want to end this series without dealing with uh, today's topic. When God says no. Uh, have you ever prayed earnestly for something and you were counting on it, but it didn't happen? Uh, that can be confusing. I mean, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-loving, why was my request denied? Uh, a lot of why questions, huh? The apostle, not Paul, but oh, Job, you remember him in the Old Testament. I'll talk about him in a minute. He said, why, 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 why a bunch of times? And we say today, why do some people get miracles and others don't? Why do some sick people get better and others die? Why do some get relief from pain and others go through lifelong pain and suffering? Why does God sometimes say yes and sometimes He says no? That's what we're going to look at today. 
Now, when you think about it, there's some obvious reasons why God doesn't say yes every time. For instance, some prayers conflict with other prayers, and both can't be answered at the same time. Suppose you're a little boy, and you don't want to take the test tomorrow at school, and you pray for a snow day. Oh, dear God, let it snow tomorrow so I don't have to go to school. But mom and dad are praying, dear God, don't let it snow tomorrow because we need to go to work. What does God do with that, you know? In one bedroom, the little boy's praying snow. In the other bedroom, mom and dad are saying no snow. God can't. Those are conflicting prayers. Some prayers would require that God take away someone's free will, someone's choice. And God won't do that. For someone to walk up to another person and say, I am praying that God will force you to marry me. This is not going to fly in heaven. You know, God got to hear that request. You're not going to get a yes on that one. It doesn't work that way. Uh, God doesn't force anything on us. God has given us free will. As a matter of fact, maybe you do get married and you're praying, God, don't let my spouse leave. They want a divorce. Don't let that happen. And, you know, again, there's that free will factor in there. See, God doesn't force anyone to fall in love with you. And God doesn't force anyone to stay in love with you. So you've got to remember these things when we pray. And God won't force you to always do the right thing. Does God always force you to do the right thing? Not me, because I do things that aren't always right. That's the way it is. Number three, praying for someone sick to stay alive will not always get a yes answer. You know why? Because we weren't made to live forever on earth. And if all it took was really, really strong faith to keep someone alive, there would be people that are alive and in pain and hurting for hundreds of years, and they're saying, would you just let me die? Quit praying for me. (laughs) My body aches. (laughs) My body's in pain. When you get up in your 90s, I've had people saying, Bruce, just pray that God will take me to get my new body. I mean, they've told me things like this, and I get it. My Bible says in Hebrews 9, it is appointed unto man once to die, right? And then judgment. I want to live forever. I just don't want to live forever here. (laughs) I want to live forever there. You know what I'm saying. And then another obvious reason is, well, this one's not so obvious. Many times we pray, and the answer comes no And it's just totally unexplainable. You know what I'm talking about? The tragic death. The one that makes no sense. That drive-by shooting. That little boy, that little girl, that innocent one got hit with a bullet that was intended for somebody else. And you shake your head and you say, what's wrong with this world? And And I suppose if I was a mother and a father that lost a child that way, that would be a great test of my faith. The tragic accident. The unexpected death, the dashed dream, the unfulfilled longing, the denied request. Uh, It feels unbearable, the no answer. And so today, I want to talk basically about two things. Number one, why God might say no. And number two, what to do when God does say no. Now, look on the screen. I'm going to give you a little caution here. Uh, Before we look at these three possibities, uh, I want to give a caution because 
You're to only use these things, these, these reasons, to comfort yourself. Never use them with someone else who is in pain because you don't know why God said no to them. So this is for ourselves only. Never presume to know why God does something unless God tells you. Now, a good example of this is the story of Job. Are you familiar with the story of Job? The Bible says there lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, but Uz, U-Z, a man named Job. Job was a very rich man, a very prosperous man. He, he loved God. He feared God. He turned away from evil. He, had a, both a, uh, he, he was religiously right. He had both a negative and a positive side to his uh, loving of God. Negatively, he turned away from God. Po- positively, he turned to God. He turned away from evil and he turned to God. That was Job. He was a very rich man, the Bible says. Probably the, it says the richest man in all the East, whatever that means. Probably the richest man in the world at the time. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had servants aplenty. He had lands aplenty. He had seven good sons. He had three beautiful daughters. And he had a wife that loved him dearly. The scene shifts from earth to heaven. And all the angels are there given an account. And Satan's there too. You say, what's, what's Satan doing there? Well, Satan, like everybody else, has to give an account to God for what he does, right? And Satan says, or God says, Satan, where you been, Satan? Satan says, well, where do you think I've been? I've been going to and fro through the earth searching for a man whom I may devour. I'm just doing my job, trying to destroy mankind. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? A perfect and upright man, a man that fears God and turns away from evil. And you remember what Satan says to God? He says, well, does he serve you for nothing? Come on, God, you made him the richest man in the whole world. You you let me take away his things, and you watch how fast he denies you to your face. And God accepts the challenge. And he says, all right, take away everything he has. Just don't touch my servant Job. Don't lay a finger on him. And Satan says, fine, great, okay. And he goes. What do I learn from that lesson right there? Every time Satan wants to do something to me or to you, what's he got to do? God, can I do this to Bruce? Can I do this to you? And God gives permission or doesn't give permission? He's got to ask permission. You reckon we're going to be okay if he's got to ask God for permission before he can touch me? I think we're going to be okay. God trusted Job. And if you find yourself under great stress, God trusts you. You wouldn't be there otherwise. So, then one day, back to earth, Job loses everything he has. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, servants of plenty, lands of plenty. Seven good sons, three beautiful daughters. Now, he doesn't lose his wife because in a misguided love, the reason for that is because in a misguided love, she's going to say everything Satan would say to Job if Satan were there to say it. But it's going to sound a whole lot more tempting coming from his wife than it would be coming from Satan himself. And Job sits out on an ash heap, broken. But here's his conclusion. Up to this point. We'll stop at this point in the story. I didn't come into the world with anything. I'm certainly not going to take it with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And I read that story. I think, could I say that? And God says, don't worry about it, Bruce. I probably can't trust you like I trust Job. (laughs) Well, he's got three friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They come to Job, and they don't say a thing. They did the right thing in the beginning. They remain silent. Sometimes people come to me and say, oh, so-and-so died, and I want to go over, but I don't know what to say to the family. And I said, well, just go over and don't say anything. Probably the best thing you could do is just sit with them. These guys sit with Job for seven days, and they don't open their mouth. And that was good. But then they opened their mouth, and it became bad. Real quick, it went south. They began to speak for God. Don't do that. What did they do? Well, you, I guess a little backstory would be helpful here. They lived in a day and time uh, when the theology said righteous people prosper, wicked people suffer. Job, <clears throat> when you were righteous, you prospered. But now you're not prospering, you're suffering. You must have done something terribly wrong. And they began accusing Job. God's doing this to you, Job, because you, they accused him of everything from stepping on little tiny baby chicks to uh, neglecting widows and orphans and everything in between. And Job hadn't done any of those things. And I love it because finally when Job gets an encounter with God and he's able to ask the why did all this happen to me, God? He never does ask the question, but in this whirlwind, God has a little confrontation with these three guys that said a bunch of dumb stuff about God that wasn't true. Look up here on your screen. Job chapter 2, verse 47. I'm angry with you. These are the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. For you have not been right in what you said about me. I didn't do those things for the reasons that you said. Well, why did God allow those things to happen to Job? Well, I, I can conjecture. I can give you a guess. And my best guess is to teach us that we can trust God no matter what. We can trust God when we are in our greatest pain, when we just suffered our greatest loss, and we don't understand why. God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm going to trust you. That was Job. That's Job's story. I like that. But he says, you've not been right. My servant Job is is the only one who spoke the truth and got it right. So don't try to speak for God. Remember a number of years ago, Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans, you know, Sin City out there of back east, and, you know, Bourbon Street, and Mardi Gras, and all the revelry, and all the partying, and all the the whatever. And uh, Hurricane Katrina just, whoo, wiped out New Orleans. And people were quick to say, ooh, that's God's judgment. Ooh, that God's getting, getting even with that city. And you know what? The only area that really didn't get devastated was Bourbon Street and all that reverie and all that party. All the other people did. Don't presume to speak for it. Check it out for yourself. They came back very, very quick, but everybody else was like underwater, like eight feet. Don't speak for God. Don't presume you know for... I'm not that smart. You know, we had a bunch of earthquakes last year in the world, and 
massive shooting in Las Vegas. I mean, oh, Sin City, I, God's, I'm not smart enough to speak for God. Don't, don't do that. And so, with these cautions in mind, let's look at three possible reasons God sometimes says no. Number one, God says no when He has a bigger perspective. God sees the whole picture. We don't. We can't see the future. Hebrews 4 verse 13, He says, He knows, that's God, about everyone everywhere. He knows all about you. He knows your story. He knows my story. He knows where you hurt. He knows what makes you happy. Everything about us is bare and wide open to all the all-seeing eye of the living God. Nothing, that is no thing, can be hidden from Him. The, the problem with us is our limited perspective. We can't see what God can see. We can't see the unintended consequences of a prayer request that may go awry. God says, well, Bruce, if you pray this prayer, and I say your prayer, and I know you really want this, that's going to set in motion a chain of events. This domino is going to knock over that domino, which knocks over that domino, which knocks over that domino, and it's going to end up in tragic results. And all I see is God said no. See what I'm saying? You know, your grandchildren are going to suffer if I say yes to this now. It won't be a good thing. And so thank God for the no's, right? We, don't, we have limited perspective. But God sees ahead. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 8. God guards something. What does He guard? He guards the course of the just and protects the way of His faithful ones. Now, all that means is, well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God will keep you out of the frying pan. It just means He'll keep you from being burned up. Does that make sense? Remember those three boys that were taken captive from Jerusalem into Babylon? And that screwball king, Nebuchadnezzar, said, you know, I got a decree here. I got this big statue I want everyone to bow down to. And whenever you hear the music play and the trumpeters trump, I want everyone to bow to my statue. And these three boys were Jewish. And they said, oh, we don't do that. We, we only bow down to the God of Israel. He's the only reverend one we serve. And then they were called on the carpet for it. And the king says, why, not, why aren't you bowing down to my statue? And the three boys said, that's not our way. We don't do that. And the king says, well, you know what the punishment is? The fiery furnace for you boys. And he ties them up good and tight. And he's so angry and he's so mad. He has the, um, the fire heated up like five times hotter than it's ever been before. And he gets the soldiers, throw them in there, and they takes the boys and throws them into the fiery furnace. It's so hot that the, the soldiers are burned up as they're throwing them in. And then the king rubs his eyes, I suppose, and says, didn't I just see three people thrown into that fiery furnace? Why is it I see four? Who do you think that fourth one was? I'm thinking, that's God, Jesus. That's angel of the Lord came for protection. And he's going, hey boys, <laughs> I take it all back. Come on out. And when they come out, guess what? They're no longer bound. What was the only thing burned? Those ropes that bound them. And the Bible says there's not even the hint of the smell of smoke on their garments. Mm. They had a buddy named Daniel. Remember what happened to him? Daniel and the lion's den. See, a group of people didn't like Daniel, and they set Daniel up 
Daniel prayed three times a day, and these guys said, man, you don't pray to anybody but the God of Egypt. And he said, we don't pray to the God of Egypt. And he's thrown into the lion's den because that, that was what the law said. That was the punishment if you were caught, and he was caught, and he went in. But the king didn't want that to happen. And the next morning, the king awakes and says, how's Daniel? Is he okay? And they say, yeah, he's fine. And God closed. See, he went into the lion's den, but God closed the mouth of what? The lion. You may be in the lion's den right now. You may be in the fiery furnace. God guards. God protects the just. He's there for you. Number one, God says no when he has a bigger perspective. See, God was trying to get Nebuchadnezzar to know that he wasn't number one, that God was number one. And God used these boys to help make that happen. Number two, God says no when he has a better plan. Often God wants to fulfill your desire, but in a different way. See, we get this plan, this idea, in our we, we got a heart's desire for God, and we want to do something great for God, and we have this way in mind that we want to do it, but God may have a whole other way in mind for you to do and accomplish the desire of your heart. A great illustration of this is the Apostle Paul. Paul's greatest desire was what? To preach the gospel to those in Rome. And he writes to the Romans the letter, I long to come and see you. And I can just envision the Apostle Paul thinking, you know what, I'm going to get to Rome. I'm going to rent the Colosseum. I'm going to pack it full of people. And I'm going to preach the good news about Jesus. And they're going to come flocking down the aisles and accept Jesus Christ. See, that, that was Paul's vision. But that wasn't God's vision. You know how Paul gets to Rome? Well, let me give you a little hint. He didn't even have to pay for his ticket because he got arrested. And the government picked up the ticket for his travel fare to Rome. And while he's in Rome, he is under house arrest in Caesar's own household. And many of Caesar's own household heard the gospel because of Paul's preaching. Even the whole Praetorian Guard. See, when you're being guarded under house arrest, you're on guard duty. What, what do you have to do for you know six or eight hours? Listen to the Apostle Paul preach. And some of them got saved. And you know what? Paul was so busy, constantly going and going and doing and doing, that he never had time to sit down and write. And now he's got time. And he wrote 13 books of this New Testament. Did you know that? Now, which did more good? If Paul would have rented the Colosseum, and a lot of people got saved at the Colosseum, or the millions and millions that got saved having read Paul's words of God's grace in this book. Does that make sense? See, God will sometimes say no, but give us our heart's desire when He's got a better plan. See, our problem is um, we want to tell God how to do it. Uh, let's say you're in deep financial distress right now. You're in debt up to here. And you pray, God, relieve this stress. God can answer that prayer in many ways. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. God, talking, This plan of mine is not what you would work out, neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For my ways, notice plural, 
are higher than yours. God has many ways to answer a prayer like that. See, one of the ways that God can get you out of financial debt is to increase your income. Another way that God can get you out of financial debt is to decrease your expenses. He has many ways that He can decrease your expenses. He has many ways He can increase your income. God is not limited to one way. Our problem is we want God to answer our preferred way. God, I'm in trouble. I need a bunch of money, and I want the easiest way. I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket, God, and make sure these are the numbers. Uh, But you know what God wants? He doesn't want the easiest way. He wants the best way. The best way for me. The best way for you to grow. So God answers our prayer. He just has many ways of doing it. And the way that grows your faith sometimes requires a delayed answer. And remember, we talked about this. A delay is not a denial. And maturity, a mark of maturity, is knowing the difference between no and not yet. When I was eight years old, I think I told you, my dad had let me sit on his lap a number of times, and I'm steering the car, and I'm thinking this is really great. And one day I thought, Dad, give me the keys. Can I go drive the car around the neighborhood? And he said, no. I'm like, what? I know I can do this. And he said, no. No, he didn't say no. Did I say he said no? I meant he said not yet. I go, well, when? He goes, I I thought it was like maybe later on in that day. He says, well, when you take driver's education and you get your learner's permit and then you get your driver's license, there will be a day when you're ready. I will give you the keys and you can drive the car. See, a a, a no is not a not yet. And sometimes God says, you're just not ready to do what you want to do, but that day will come. You might want to write this down. Look on the screen. God has, well, don't look on the screen yet. Let me read a verse, then look on the screen. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 11? What's Hebrews chapter 11 all about? The faithful hall of fame. Remember all those heroes? You know, man, we, we read about Daniel in the lion's den. Man, he escaped. The, we read about, you know, uh, all those people in the hall of, of fame and hall of faith. And they all got what they wanted. They all got something great. And then you read about another group and you go, whoa, this, this passage has just gone south. Some were beheaded. Some lost their lives. Some were burned at the stake. Some were tortured. And you're going, whoa, what's this all about? Hebrews 11, 39 to 40. These were commended for their what? Faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. They all had prayer requests. They all had promises of God. But none of them received it. Where? Here on earth. Watch the next part of this. God had planned something better. So if they didn't receive it on earth, where did they receive it? In heaven. Now write this down. God has all of eternity to fulfill His promises. I don't know what all that means. All I know is God hears every prayer. He answers every prayer. And if He's made a promise, He will fulfill that promise. And He has eternity to do it. Now, looking back, have you ever been glad that God said no to a prayer? Girls, if you've ever been to a high school reunion, and you remember praying, oh God, I want to marry that big hunk over there. And when you get there, you find that big hunk has turned into a gobagoo. And you're thinking, thank you for that no I appreciate that no now. 
God has a bigger perspective, a better plan. And number three, God says no when He has a greater purpose. God will never let your prayer interfere with your purpose. Psalm 57, 2, I cry out to God Most High, who fulfills, watch this, His purpose. Now, I've got a purpose, but my purpose is His purpose, and my purpose is to cooperate with His purpose for me. God is not obligated to explain why He does what He does. He doesn't need our approval. And number two, everything God allows, everything God allows in our life, He does for a purpose, including your problems, including your pain. Now, you may be in a tight spot right now. We're going to talk about a tight spot in a week or so where God gets people out of it. And you're thinking, what's the purpose of this tight spot? Well, 1 Peter 1.7 tells a purpose of troubles. The purpose of these troubles is to test your faith as the fire tests how genuine gold is. Your faith is more precious than what? Gold. God's testing. God's refining. You know, when you put dig up gold, you know, there's some impurities in there and that's got to be heated up. And, uh, you know, it's the dross has got to be skimmed off the top. And then the purity comes through. Well, God's doing that in our lives. And sometimes that can be painful as the fire's being heated up. And anytime you feel discouraged while going through this process, remind yourself, God has a greater purpose for this. The Apostle Paul talked about troubles and trials. And if there's anyone that went through troubles and trials, read the story. Read the life of the Apostle Paul. The guy was always being whipped, beaten with rods, tortured, in danger in the sea, in danger in rivers, in danger in the desert, in danger in the country, in danger by false brethren. And he writes, These present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. <laughs> Look at the things that this guy... Five times I was beaten, <laughs> you know... With the scourge, that's the Roman scourge, 30, 30 lashes, 39 lashes, yeah, 30 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. Whoa. Small, trouble, amazing. These won't last, he says. These troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they will produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last how long? Forever. So, we don't look at the troubles. That's right here on earth. Rather, we look forward, that's in heaven, to the unseen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. If you want to be happy, we need this perspective. I want you to accept three facts. Number one, there are some things we won't understand until heaven. Uh, Deuteronomy 29.29, I think the ASV says something like, the secret things belong to God. But I found a modern speech this week that says, there are some things the Lord our God has kept secret. Do you have anything in your mind that's going, I've got several things in my mind that I, looking back, they make in my life, I went through a hard time, a trouble, a struggle, a difficulty that um, I'm still shaking my head over. I don't know the answer to that. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, remember that day? Remember that time? Boom. And he's, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he just gives it to us automatically when we get to heaven or not, or we have these little discussions with God. But you know what I'm talking about, because you have questions and struggles of your own that you have going on in your mind. There are some things we just won't answer or won't understand in this life. Number two, there are some things that will never change until we get to heaven. 
like problems, like struggles, like pain, like troubles. Why? We live in a fallen world. This is earth. This is not heaven. Number three, sometimes your suffering is for the benefit of others. We looked at Joseph in this series. He suffered for the benefit of his brothers who treated him so horribly. But were it not for Joseph's suffering and then saving his family, Jesus wouldn't have been born because that's the lineage, that's the seed line that he came from. Ministries in many churches exist today because God said no to someone, you know? And they started ministries to help others struggling with the same things. God even allowed his own son to suffer for the benefit of others. Why? He had a greater purpose. What was the greater purpose? Our salvation. So, let's wrap it up with this. we got a baptism this morning, by the way. So let's wrap this up. What should we do when God says no? Number one, trust that God does everything in goodness and love. Everything. Psalm 25.10, all the ways of the Lord are loving. That is all, folks. All of them are loving. Anytime God says no, though, here's what Satan's quick to do. Create doubts in your mind, right? Well, if God's all-powerful and He's all-loving, He should be able to answer a request like that. See, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Here's what you do when those thoughts start coming in from the enemy. You tell the devil he's a liar. And say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, get out of my head, get out of my mind. I'm not buying it. Don't buy into that junk. Here's the point. Look at the screen. I don't have to unpick love. Good day or bad day. He's already there. Or, and this is the one I suggest, we relax knowing that God has your best interest in mind no matter what you're going through. Good days or bad days. Because He loves you with an everlasting love. Number two. I don't even trust God, but then when you're in pain, pray what Jesus prayed when He was facing the cross. Jesus is having a tough day. Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground praying uh, that if possible, he might not have to suffer what was ahead of him. Jesus prayed, oh, I love that word we talked about it. Dada, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Search eternity, God. Dad, help me out here. Find another way. No, son, no other way. But please take this cup of suffering away from me. Jesus prayed that three times. Yet, I like this part. I want your will, not mine, to be done. Here's how that prayer breaks down. And it's the right way that we should pray when we don't always get the answer we want. Affirm God's power. Father, I know that you can do anything. Number two, accept with passion. Father, or ask with passion. Father, please give me what I ask. And then finally, accept God's plan. However, I want most, what I want most is your will. See, that's a hard prayer to ask. That's a hard attitude to have when you're praying. Because we want our will, we want our hurt to be alleviated. We don't want to do the hard thing. Man, that's a good model prayer to remember when you're going through a hard time, especially when you're in pain. Number three, expect God to give His grace to handle His um, answer. And grace is simply, if you think of grace this way, it is God's power to get you through your tough time. That's what grace is. It's power. Um, Paul illustrates this in his own life. 
2 Corinthians 12, 8-10. That's Paul talking. Three times I prayed to the Lord about this. But he's praying about this thorn in the flesh that he had. Don't know really what it was, but we'll leave it at that. But his answer was, my grace is all you need. What's his grace? His power. For my power is greatest when you're weak. So I gladly boast about my weakness so that Christ's power can flow through me. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. And so, this morning we're going to kind of wrap it up with this. What have you been praying about? That you haven't got the answer yet, or at least not the answer you want, because that prayer has not happened. Remember, God has a bigger perspective. Maybe He's protecting you from something that you don't even see. Remember, He sees way ahead of us. Maybe He's got a better plan. The story's not over yet. You've been praying for it, but you've been expecting it to show up in this way, and it's about to show up in another way that's even much greater. And then a greater purpose. Right now, uh, He's working on you. Understand that. We'll close with this verse. Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know you, do you know them this morning? I hope you do. Those who know you, Lord, will trust you. Do you trust Him? You do not abandon anyone who comes to you. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to sing an invitation song here in a moment. We want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. One has said this morning, we had a Bible study in the the library this morning, and one has said, I believe in Jesus. I want to put Him on in baptism today. We're going to do that. Others may have questions come to my class others may have prayer requests uh, Luis, i'm gonna ask you to meet him in the back pray for those folks that'd be a good thing why don't we just turn to god right now and pray you might just want to say dear god uh, i want to get to know you i i, I want to let you love i want to i want to i want to love and trust you for everything that i need I want to feel your love toward me. God, I want your pardon for all the things I've done wrong. I need your peace and I need your presence. I can't do it on my own, God. I'm a sinner, but I want to thank you for letting Jesus suffer for me so that he could pay for all of my sins. God, if, if you want to use the pain in my life to help others, well then do so. I want to be more like you. And so today, as much as I know how, Jesus, I ask you to fill me with your life and with your love and with your spirit and start me on the journey of trusting you more and more every day, even like Job when he didn't understand it. And then one day, God, I ask that you take me home to heaven with you where all of my questions will be answered, where all the problems will be removed and all the pain will be replaced with your joy. I look forward to that day. In the meantime, keep me serving you and trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you're subject to the Lord's invitation, if you want, like Jesse here, to put Jesus on in baptism, we're here to help you and serve you. Let's stand and let's sing together.